All right, would you pray with me this morning as we get started? Heavenly Father, as we enter into this time of Lent, this time of preparation for Easter, God, I pray that you would prepare our hearts. God, that during this time, as we practice abiding in you, I pray, God, that you would meet us there. That it is in your loving kindness that you would bring us to repentance. And you would convict our hearts. And then you would comfort and, and remind us of the redemption that we have in you. God, we, we come before you as people who are broken and people who, apart from you, can do nothing. And so we just lay our entire lives at your feet. And we know that as we do that, you meet us there. You do not expect us to walk one step towards you without you awakening our hearts and opening our eyes and running to meet us. God, that is an incredible truth that feels, it feels unreal and it feels unfair. It feels like we should have to do more to receive that from you, but you, you say we don't because it is all dependent on you. So God, that is the posture that we come to this time in the service with. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we are beginning a new series uh, this, this week. And after last week, I actually have in all caps and bold at the top of my notes, just so you know, it says, keep this short. Um, because I am under an agreement, you don't know, like part of the fine print in my agreement as the pastor here is that my sermon times, it's about my average time. It's not about like each one has to be in a certain time. It's an average time. So I'm getting head shakes. No, that is not true. If anyone of you are very literal, that is not true. But we are starting a new series. And this theme this year has been, we're, we're going to want to focus on abiding in Christ. And we understand, like from John 15 through 17 that we just read through, Jesus tells us that we are to um, abide in him and that apart from him, we can do nothing. But it's one thing to talk about doing that, but how do we actually do it? How do we actually prepare our hearts and how do we actually abide in him? And I got that question a lot during the series and we tried to give some practical, um, some practical tips to that, but we were dealing so much with what is this process of abiding? What, is it, what does it look like? How, what does it mean that we abide in him? What does it mean that we abide in unity and we abide in one another? Like what does that, what does that mean? But now in this series, as we approach Easter, we're going to look at more of how do we actually do that? And so we've called it training to abide. And we call it that because we have to train to abide. It's not something that, um, that just happens naturally. And so we've used this example before. It's a common one. But if you want to run a marathon, um, first I would ask why. And then second, I would say, well, if you want to do that, you aren't going to be prepared to run a marathon by just sitting on your couch and thinking about running a marathon. Right? That will not prepare you. And in the same way, we are not prepared to abide in Jesus by just sitting and talking about it and thinking about what it would look like to abide in him. We have to train for it. We don't naturally abide. We talk about how our hearts are prone to wander. 
We don't naturally draw to, um, to the things that draw us closer to God. That's part of our sanctification process, that our desires are changed from the inside out. And yes, as we follow Jesus more and more, our hearts are formed around that. And, and by God's grace, we desire him more and more. But it doesn't happen without practice. And that's really what spiritual disciplines are. They're just practicing abiding in Christ. And so specifically, we want to focus these next few weeks on disciplines, what are called disciplines of abstinence which just means practices of going without. So there are a lot of spiritual disciplines. Some are, are active ones, things that we do, and then some are things, the disciplines of kind of uh, letting go of some other things or giving away some things. And so the ones that we're going to cover uh, after this week, uh, today is, is we're going to talk about fasting, and then we're going to talk about secrecy, um, which is a fun one, and then we're going to talk about solitude, um, simplicity, and silence. Just realizing all of those start with S, except for fasting. So we could do starving? No, no, that's not right. Never mind. All right, forget it. Uh, so it's important, though, that when we go through these, 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 um, these disciplines or these practices of going without, we have to make sure that we frame it properly. It's important that we don't look at these as just purely self-denial. Like these are not just practices of like, okay, Jesus, I love you so much, so I'm going to prove my love for you by just giving up this thing that I actually really want. And the whole time I'm thinking about this thing that I really want more, but I'm, I'm just going to show you how much I love you by giving up this thing for you. And, and that creates all kinds of issues. This idea of I'm trying to prove my worthiness to God or prove how much I love him by going without this thing that I desire. And then that leads us to like the more, to like relish the pain of it. Like the more painful the act is, the more spiritual it is. Or I better, I better do this or I guess, I guess Jesus just doesn't matter. Like it's almost sometimes trying to prove to ourselves of like, okay, you got to buckle down and do this because then otherwise you, don't, you must not love Jesus very much. So you're trying to prove to yourself. But none of those things are true. That's not why we do these things. The whole point of practicing giving up things or going without things that are part of our regular lives is so that we can turn our attention and gain something better. I'm eliminating sometimes a distraction or something that, com- that, that often vies for my attention to focus on pursuing the better thing. It's practicing loss of, of temporary things to gain eternal riches. And so we will go through those different things each week talking about what are we letting go of and what are we turning our attention to and what are we gaining and pursuing. We're going to start with fasting today. So fasting is this thing, and when I'm specifically talking about fasting from food, fasting is this thing that we all, all know what it is, but it isn't practiced very much in this part of the world. My guess is that if we went around and asked people, like, how frequently do you fast? How, when was the last time you fast or, or fasted? Or, or how important is fasting in your walk with Jesus? My guess is if, if I could just put a poll up on there, like, it would be a very high percentage of people who are in the category of rarely or never. And I wonder, like, why, why is that? Because I want to be practical here. Why, why is it something that we don't do very much? And I think part of it is we don't necessarily understand it. 
we don't really know how to do it, and, and so because I don't know exactly how I'm supposed to do it, then I just feel like maybe I shouldn't do anything at all. Or for some of us, it's that we maybe haven't had good experiences with it. We've tried it, and, and it hasn't been a positive, life-giving experience. And so that's who this message is for today. This message is for the person who maybe doesn't really understand fasting or the person who has struggled with it and trying to do it. Or the person who, you know, in that struggling and doing it, you just say, I just end up hungry and no closer to God. That's who this is for. I mean, fasting, so when we think about fasting at its most basic understanding, it's just abstaining um, from, from food, in this case, uh, for spiritual purposes. But what are those purposes? What does it accomplish? When should we do it? How should we do it? So we just mentioned in, in the intro to this about the whole series is that it's not just a denial of something. Like fasting is not just limited to this idea that I, I deny myself food. It's, it's not sacrifice. It's not giving up food that I really want and really love and just sitting there and gutting it out and saying, Jesus, look how much I love you. Look how devoted I am to you. When we actually look at fasting in the Bible, we see something interesting. We see that fasting is an active, intense, intentional, purposeful form of seeking God. It's, it's intentional, it is intense, it's purposeful, it's active, it's all these things. But it is, it is not just a kind of a laissez-faire part of our everyday life. So when we look at scripture, there's some interesting things that kind of jump out about it. One is its connection with prayer. Fasting is always combined with prayer or some form of of seeking God or calling out to God or crying out to God. But prayer is not always combined with fasting. That's important. There's a type of prayer that is not accompanied by fasting. But fasting is always joined with prayer. I was trying to think of an example of how to communicate this, and, and so I'm going to use a couple of examples of um, my communication with my dear wife, um, which is perfect, both the communication and my wife are. And so we communicate every day, right? And some days we communicate better than others. And we have a whole range of conversations that we have with one another, from, from inside jokes to news of the day to, to communications about fears or desires or frustrations. Like all these things are in, encapsulated in our communication day to day. But then there are times where we have something major that we have to talk about, a big decision that has to be made, a big hurt that needs to be processed or, or dealt with. And in those times, we clear out space. In those times, we, we get away from our house. We, we pawn our children off on somebody else. And we get rid of all of the distractions. And we make it clear that we are sitting down to intentionally deal with this thing. And that is what fasting is like. See, our regular rhythm is prayer to God. Like, we are called to pray without ceasing. That we are unendingly in this conversation and communicating with God. It's this ongoing conversation. That could be a a whole other sermon about different practices of, of kind of those basic conversations with God. Like, 
we got to remember that prayer to God and prayer and communicating with God also includes those same things that my communication with Lauren includes. It's the, it's the good mornings. It's the inside jokes. It's the, it's the news. It's just this constant kind of commentary, this running thing that's going on. And we're told to pray without ceasing. And so here's kind of the picture I want to give you. So there is a way in which our spirit is always praying. So if we think about ourselves in, in terms of like body, mind, and spirit, our spirit, there's a way in which as believers in Christ, our spirit is always praying. Part of that is because the Holy Spirit dwells within us, and as Romans 8 says, he's interceding on our behalf. He's crying out even when we don't know what to say. So what that means is as I go on about my regular day and my life and I'm doing all these things, sometimes mundane, sometimes not, I'm paying attention to work, my mind is going in different places as it should, my spirit is still, there's a sense in which my spirit is constantly communing with God. That's why, for example, you could be going on about your day and all of a sudden you feel this conviction. It's not like the Holy Spirit is sitting up there way far away and notices, be like, hey, you should probably feel bad about that. It's that your spirit is constantly, like the Holy Spirit's interceding and sometimes it like pricks kind of your mind and your conscience to say, hey, pay attention to this. So there's a way in which our spirit is, is always praying. But then there are times of focused prayer. That we set aside, that we say, I'm, I'm praying and now, and now our mind engages, right? So these are times where you sit down like in, in your quiet time or in a time where you're praying for a friend as you're sitting together and you're, you're praying together. We pray together as a church. But those are times where our mind is now joining our spirit in prayer. That our mind is saying, that we're saying, look, this is important enough. I should not be thinking about um, this, this work that I'm doing over here. Or I should not be, my mind shouldn't be thinking about what I need to get at the grocery store or, 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 or work or anything like that. Like, I'm going to stop. I'm going to pause. And my mind is going to join the continual prayer of my spirit. And then there are times where the need is so great and the desperation so strong that I bring my body in with it and say, okay, spirit is praying all the time. And now my mind is focusing on this thing. But then there are ways that we communicate that, okay, my body is going to join in with this. Almost like a, an all-hands-on-deck kind of thing. And we, we do this in ways where like sometimes you may collapse on your knees and, and pray as you're begging God for something. Or you may lay prostrate on the floor and just like on your face calling out to God. Or you may be lifting up hands. But whatever it is, it's, it's so, the, the experience is such and the, the intensity is there and the desire and the desperation to communicate these things to God or to hear from God are so strong that my, mind, that my body is joining with my mind, which is joining with my spirit to just my whole being and my whole self is calling out to God. And I think that's where fasting fits. Fasting is, in my understanding, an extension of that. It's when the time of prayer is so intense that we say, all hands on deck, and I am just getting rid of all distractions and all food. And even my body, even the very sustenance of food in my body is I am setting it aside because I am going to seek the bread of life fully. 
There's a lot of places I could point to with that. Clearly, Jesus, as he's being tempted in the desert, being prepared for his ministry, that's one of those examples. But we see often in the Old Testament especially that fasting, we see this kind of intensity of emotion. Usually it's sorrow or grief or repentance. We see it in in 2 Samuel 12 when David fasts and, and weeps as he lies on the ground next to his dying child. We see it in in the book of Esther when when the Jews um, are are being threatened with extermination um, at the hands of of Haman. And so they they fast and grieve and call out to God. And then, of course, we see it in in Jonah chapter 3 when Jonah delivers this message of repentance to Nineveh. And Nineveh is convicted. They're cut to the core. And so they, they fast and call out to God and repent and they turn to him. Each of these times, people were struck with a a deep grief. And in those times, they respond not just with prayer, but with fasting. There are times when they just say, "It's, it's all of us. We have to just completely call out to God and cry out with everything that we are. So I think one of the reasons why many of us have struggled with fasting, or maybe I should just say that why I have struggled with fasting a lot of times, is that we, we kind of hope that fasting will spark some of that intensity in us. That we think that, okay, if I'm feeling very apathetic towards God, or apathetic uh, towards his will, that I should fast. And then in fasting, that will create some of that desire in me. But I don't think that's how it's designed. Fasting isn't the creation. It's not the creator of those things. It's it's the response to the sorrow and the grief and the desperation that we have. When God commands his people in Joel 2 to fast, he says, Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. He isn't saying that fasting will create the weeping and the mourning and the repentance. That would be works-based things. That would be saying, that would be the belief that it is our actions and our works that create the environment for us to, to receive repentance from God. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that God awakens our hearts and then we respond to him. And so it makes sense here that you, if you would return to me, if you would have hearts that would turn and seek me, you would do it with fasting and with weeping and with mourning. That this is what it would look like. And so we see this pattern in the Old Testament that it's associated with this intense grief and sorrow and mourning, typically over their own sin. Which makes a lot of sense in Matthew 9 when Jesus addresses fasting this way. It says, The disciples of John came to Jesus saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. So Jesus is is clearly associating it with mourning and grief. And he's saying, look, while while I'm with them, the whole reason to fast is in your mourning and grief and seeking God. And he's saying, I'm with them. So while I'm with them, there's no reason for them to, in mourning and grief and sorrow, seek me. Because I'm right here. But he says there will come a day 
where they will fast again. When, when he is taken away. One of the first examples we see of this is in the book of Acts, in Acts 9, when Saul is confronted by Jesus and is blinded in the conversion of Saul. And it says, For three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. And one can assume that this was combined, like he meets Jesus face to face and then Jesus is removed from him and he's convicted of his sin, how he has persecuted the church and how he has, he has defamed the name of Christ and how he has had um, Christians arrested and has overseen their murders. And this, I, I can only imagine the depth of grief and sorrow and repentance that would have come with that. And so we see him fast. I think this starts a pattern in Acts that we see with, with fasting, that fasting is purposeful. And so not only do we sometimes look to fasting and struggle with it because we look for it to create some kind of emotion in us that's not already there, we also look for it to create or give us some kind of agenda that we're not actually seeking. We come to it sometimes with no real motivation or purpose. We're just, we're just hoping that if we deny ourselves food, that something spiritual will happen to us, that God will reveal something to us. But the concrete examples we see in Scripture don't show that. It shows that they, the fasting is not aimless, that it's not just an end of itself, that there is a purpose and so, when I, again, I think about my communication with Lauren, like we set aside also, in addition to all those times of communication, we do set aside regular times during the week that we try to connect and we talk. And, and there are some times where, believe it or not, things are going relatively smoothly. And we don't have anything massive to, to talk about. And so we, we can talk about other things. We talk about fun things. Sometimes we maybe watch a TV show together or whatever the case is. But we just say, hey, yeah, we're, we're in a good season right now. Like, let's just, let's just hang out. But then there are times where we would say, like, okay, no, we know we have to talk about this thing. And that's when we're clearing out that distraction. And that's when we sit there and kind of say, okay, we're dealing with this. Sometimes we don't even eat. Like, we may like, have a date night and we'll just say, like, we're not even going to eat right now. We need to deal with this thing. But fasting without a need would be like clearing out that time and saying, okay, me, me coming home from work and, and the kids have, have gone off with, you know, with my dad and, and we're saying like, okay, we're clearing out everything and we are going to have an intense conversation. And Lauren says like, okay. And so we, we put away the food and we put away everything else we we're going to do and we just sit there and we stare intensely at each other. And Lauren says, okay, what? And I say, I don't know. Maybe something intense will come up and we'll talk about it. That's kind of awkward, right? I mean, maybe you try that. Maybe that's your, maybe that's your common thing. But that doesn't work. That doesn't work in our house and it doesn't really work with fasting. I would say that if your experience has been like I was looking for this, I was looking for that. I wanted some kind of intense experience with God. I, I wanted him to reveal something about what I'm supposed to do with my life or just something generic. Like I didn't know what. I was trying to be open-handed with it and open-ended with it. But in the end, I just ended up hungry. Well, maybe because fasting is designed to be intentional and purposeful. 
It's a way of saying this is really important. We need, I need to be fully present. God, I'm going to seek you in this. I'm going to repent over this thing, or I'm going to seek your will in this thing that I'm facing. In Acts 13, we have an example of this. It says, While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work for, to which I have called them. Then, after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Now look, it's, it's possible. It's possible that in this passage that they, they got to the fasting time of the week. They're like, hey, it's the third Sunday. And, we just, and so we all fasted before we came in here. And so now we're just going to kind of say like, all right, well, let's see what happens. And then out of the blue, somebody said, hey, you know what? I think that we should send out Saul and Barnabas. And they should go share the gospel. But I don't think that that's the case. I think that they're asking the question. You can see that in the the missionary things that are happening there. They've been sending people out. They've been coming back. There is a desire. They've They've been commissioned to go and spread the gospel to the ends of the earth. So it makes sense that as they are praying over, okay, God, who do we send? Where do they go? Where do you want us to do? We are here. We are ready. That they came together and said, we're going to fast and we're going to seek God in this. And then in their fasting, in their seeking, God says, Saul and Barnabas. And they say, okay, and then they pray and they fast over them. They, they continue their fast and saying, okay, we're going to send you. Like, this is so critical that we want to, we want to pray, pray for God's provision and protection and for fruit. Like, go. And in their seeking, they, they get this answer. It makes sense again, like in the very next chapter in Acts 14. In verse 14, or in verse 23 of chapter 14, it says, When they had appointed elders for them in every church, with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Now, you could look at that and say, Right, okay, so the thing that we get from that is every time we appoint elders, we should fast and pray. But that would certainly be creating a a new law around fasting. They didn't always fast when they appointed leaders or when they selected people. They didn't even fast when they had to replace an apostle. So earlier in Acts, they they replace an apostle and and they they don't even fast over that. They cast lots. And they do it when they, when they set aside the first deacons, that they, they just select them and then pray over them. So, so we don't see this connection of, of why. Why are they doing this? Why is it here? But then if we look at this whole passage, we can see why. If we see this in this pattern of this desperation, this need, this desire, this extreme hunger for God... Look at what surrounds that verse. Verse 19 says, But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city. And on the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. 
So do you see what, do you see what happened here? Paul preaches the gospel. They see people come to faith. Trouble is stirred up. Paul is stoned nearly to death. They drag him up. They go to the next city, share the gospel more, and then come back to where he was stoned nearly to death to those disciples who saw all of that. Can you imagine being brand new believers? Can you imagine being there And hearing Paul share the gospel and responding to it and saying, yes, I believe. And then seeing him dragged out and stoned to where they thought he was dead. And then you see him get up and they go off to another city. Can you imagine being in that situation? What are you thinking? How are you feeling? And then Paul returns. And he talks to them about how through many tribulations they must enter the kingdom. Look, this is not some kind of vanilla sermon about suffering on some random Sunday. This is Paul likely still with bruises and afflictions all over him saying to them, be strengthened, be encouraged. This is the way of Jesus. Don't give up, don't quit. And so now Paul, in speaking this to these new believers and wanting to encourage them and build them up in their faith, leaves them. And how do you leave people like that? Well, you appoint elders. And you appoint elders who are going to care for these new believers and are going to shepherd them and are going to protect them and are going to lead them. And you believe, elders that you believe will lead them when persecution comes and when some of them are arrested and beaten nearly to death or to death. Elders that will stay faithful and will guard the sheep and will will bring them home. Like if you're Paul, your whole heart is in that. And so if your whole heart is in that and we're saying, we have to have those kinds of elders, like that's a time that your body should come in line with your mind and your spirit and say, we got to fast and pray. We need to find these faithful elders and then we need to pray that God would protect them and would help them lead this church. I do believe when we see this over and over again that the environment of fasting is this desperate need. I don't think that fasting is a command in the same way that we see other things being a command. I, think it's, I don't think it's that every time you really want to hear from God, you fast. And the other times, you must not be very interested in hearing from God. I think that it is something that God has given us that is for those times where we are just so desperate, so sorrowful, Our need is so great that we are going to just even forsake food and say, God, I just, you have to answer me. I think if we're honest, we know that there are those different types of prayer, right? Like we, those praying continuously and prayers of communication with God and then prayers where we say, I want to focus on this thing, but then there's a different kind of prayer that I think all of us who've been following Jesus for very long know it's the prayer that comes from deep in our souls. Where we are just begging God, crying out to him. I would say that's when we fast. 
So when we look at it like that, the question of regular and how often we should do it and, and how it should be done kind of becomes moot. Right? It's not, it's not to say that, by the way, I've got I to point out, it's not to say that a regular fasting time is wrong. There may be some of you in here, there probably are a handful of you in here who have a regular, rich time of fasting. And I don't want to say that that's wrong at all. I think that can actually be really rich and great. I would caution you, though, the same way that Jesus cautions the Pharisees, who were known for this regular fasting, not to let it be an occasion for self-righteousness, not to let it be an occasion for guilt, not to let it be this thing where like, okay, I fast every single week, and then this week you get there and you're just like, I don't, I don't want to. And so you're like, but I got to. If I don't, then I'm not really seeking God. Like, that's what I would caution you to be careful of. But maybe you have a regular time because you have a prayer calendar, which is a real thing. And people that I've known who are incredible prayer warriors have some kind of a prayer calendar that this is the day that this is what I pray for and this is the day this is what I pray for. And maybe for you, like Tuesday morning is the day that you just pray your heart out for these things that are just the deepest needs of your soul. And so maybe that's when you fast. But I would want to remove the yoke from any of you who feel Like you're less spiritual because fasting has never been a consistent part of your life. And when I talked about it being regular, we got to understand there's a different kind of regular. And that's what I would propose. Like regular can be associated with time. So like every, every Tuesday morning we have staff meeting here, or every Tuesday afternoon we have staff meeting here at the church. Okay? That's, that's, that's a regular thing. Every Tuesday, we do that. That's one way of being regular. Another way of being regular, though, is that it's a sense of it's our go-to. Okay, so whenever I'm, whenever I'm in this particular situation, this is my go-to. And so I have those things with my kids where, like, this is, when we're sitting around, we don't know what to do, like, here's our go-to activity. Maybe it's a, a go-to game or, or a go-to, like, restaurant that we go to. You know, just something that we do. Like, when we don't know where else we're doing, like, this is what we do. Like, I do that when I'm struggling writing a sermon. I have, I have kind of a go-to music playlist that I turn to, or a, place, a, a go-to place to get away and, and think. They're not things that I do every week at the same time on the same day. They're things that I go to when I'm in need, and in that way, they are regular. And so here would be my question. Is fasting your go-to when you are in those deep times of desperation and need. When you are praying those ways that I think we all can relate to, where you are just crying out like a, like a guttural scream, where you're just saying, God, I need you, please. If, that, if fasting hasn't been your go-to in those situations, that's what I would commend to you. And I feel convicted personally in preparing this that it should be more of my go-to. I have a lot of other go-tos. I have Google searches, research, theological books, conversations with friends, and, and yes, prayer. But how often do I say, this is so critical. I'm going to lay aside all things, including bread, so that I may pursue the bread of life. So that's my encouragement to you in the coming weeks. 
when you're really struggling, if, you, if you've never really experienced the beauty of, of fasting, look for those opportunities. When you're really struggling with a decision and you just feel like, God, I, I'm not hearing you. I don't know what's going on. Or when you're grieving over something, like grief and sorrow either over your own sin or the circumstances around you, I would encourage you, fast and pray. Don't look for fasting to, to create something in you that's not there. Don't, don't do it as a, a form of self-denial so that God will think you're really religious and therefore he'll answer you. But do it rather as a way of saying, my spirit has been crying out for this. My mind has become aware of this and I'm focusing my attention and my body is going to come along and my whole heart and soul and mind and strength is going to be devoted to seeking God. And I would encourage you just to get really practical. Just a couple of things. One is start small. Just skip a meal. Don't make it so like, okay, well, I have this friend who fasts and they just did a three-week fast. And so like it feels pretty lame to just skip breakfast. It's not lame. Start there. Jeff this week pointed out that a 24-hour fast is actually just two meals, not three, which was mind-blowing to me. I was like, wait, what? And I'm doing the math and going, oh, you're right. See, that's where we get into trouble. We're like, okay, does it count if I do this? If I count, does it count if I do this? Like if I'm sitting in that intense conversation with Lauren, we're desperate to figure something out. I'm not going like, am I sitting in the right posture? Are we sitting the right distance apart from each other? Like I don't think about any of those things. It's just about setting everything aside and focusing there. So don't worry about those things. The key, if you'll notice, is what you are pursuing, not what you are giving up. If you are desperate in your grief and sorrow and your need to hear from God, then you won't be thinking about whether you should be, is it okay that you drank water or coffee? You'll just be consumed with the situation at hand. And I would encourage you, don't be afraid to ask for help. Jeff is going to deal with secrecy, so that's his problem for next week. I don't have to deal with that this week about not letting everybody know that you're fasting. But what we do see in the scriptures is almost all of those examples that I gave you were done in community. You could only make the argument that David was done by himself, but everybody knew that he was fasting. So sometimes you might say to another friend, hey, would you fast with me? You get that diagnosis and you say to a close group of friends, would you, would you fast with me and pray and plea, plead to God for healing, for his will to be done? You might say with your spouse, let's, let's fast until this situation, until we hear from God in the situation with our, with our children or with, for direction of what we are to do. We may do this as a, as a church when the need arises. But don't be afraid to ask somebody to do it. Again, Jeff will deal with the issues and, and the dangers of that. But the good thing about it is to say to someone who's walking with you, would you join me in this as I seek God in desperation? So the next time you're feeling that, I encourage you to fast. 
It's a harnessing of those emotions and turning it into a plea of God. It's a reminder in the hardest times that we do not live by bread alone, that we are sustained by the bread of life. It is a bringing of our bodies into prayer with our minds and our spirits, and it is sweet. Communion with the Lord in those times tastes so good. It is more refreshing and more filling than any food or drink could be. And as it becomes a go-to part of our seeking of God, it stands to reason that it will become a more regular and fruitful practice in our life as we seek to abide in Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I... God, I thank you that you give us practices like this, that you even show us. Who would have thought of this? What human could have come up with an idea like this? But God, you give it to us as a, as a help. So God, I pray, I pray that you would forgive us for our, our misunderstanding of it or our turning of it into, into a law or some kind of righteous work that we, that we have to do to show you how serious we are. God, I pray that we would see fasting as the gift that it is meant to be. That is another way for us to express our desperation for you. God, I pray that you would show us how to do that. You would teach us how to do this. God, I pray that for many in this room that it would be a fruitful practice. God, I pray you would remove guilt from people in this room who say that they, they're, they're unable to do that or they've not done that. God, that, they, that is not what you are measuring. You've never once measured our love for you by how often we fast. Our love for you is demonstrated in how we love one another and our pursuit of you. So God, I pray that you would redeem our view of this and that it would be helpful and that would lead to a desperate seeking. And in our desperation in seeking you, that we would receive the sweetness of deep communion with you. God, right now I also pray for those who feel a call right now that they want to, that their seeking of you is once needs to be through baptism this morning. God, I pray that there are people in this room been, who have said, I have committed my life to following Jesus and I need to proclaim that. I've not been baptized and I need to follow Jesus in baptism. I want to do that. God, I pray that you would stir their hearts that they would get up and that they would come over and they would talk to Jeff. And God, anybody that needs prayer, even if today's not the day to get baptized, God, if you, I pray that you would stir in people's hearts. That you would move in us and stir these emotions and desires and, and this passionate seeking of you. Stir that in us. It has to come from you. We cannot create it ourselves. We cannot conjure it up ourselves. Fasting won't create it. Music won't create it. Positive thinking won't create it. God, only you can create that in us. Only you can bring that about in us. So we pray that you would. Holy Spirit, move.
in us, please. In Jesus' name, amen.